From Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome to another special episode of Hollywood Unscripted Stuck at Home. I'm Jenny Curtis, and today I am virtually sitting down with the coolest actress, Numi Rapace. She's well known for originating the role of Lizbeth Salander in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the rest of that series. She's been in Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows, Bright, What Happened to Monday, The Drop, and so many more. She's an actress with fierce strength and an open heart, and today we get to cover her latest movie, The Secrets We Keep, along with the rest of her career. Numi, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're currently in London, is that correct? That is correct. I'm in my house in London and been in quarantine for the last 14 days because I've been traveling this summer and then I came back and I've been like stuck in my house (laughs) watching a lot of films. It's a strange time, but also gives me time to catch up on things. It's definitely a shorter quarantine than some of us who have been stuck in our homes for like three months at this point. Oh my God, I know. I have a lot of friends in LA. Normally I go there like a couple of times a year and I stay for like, you know, a month or six weeks and I miss my friends so much. It just feels very unreal. And it feels like you guys have had it way tougher than we. It's been quite hard and it kind of feels like you're living in a movie. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, living in a movie. Um, It feels very unreal. But we're all healthy here and, and I'm glad that you're healthy and you've gotten to travel. How have you been traveling? How do you stay safe? What have you been doing? I went to Sweden for work. Sweden and Denmark. Um for meetings and I'm producing a couple of projects. So I went to work with my partners and then I went to my friend's birthday in Spain. You know, in in Europe, some countries are open. There's like rules, obviously, but it's very different. In some countries, there's less rules. Like in Sweden, people are not wearing any masks and, you know, people social distance and all that, but it's way more relaxed. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we're kind of slowly going back to normal in London, which feels good. My son is back in school. And I'm prepping for a film and, you know. Talking about producing, I'd love to jump in immediately with The Secrets We Keep, which is coming out this week, September 16th in theaters, and then will be on VOD in October. Mm -hmm. You are an EP on the film as well as the lead. I just would love to hear about the genesis of this project and, yeah, take us from the beginning. Yeah, wow. So I was given this script, like, way back, maybe three, four years ago. And it actually came to me and Joel because we were looking for something to do together. And then I read it and I called Joel. I was like, dude, there's something in here. There's a heartbeat. There's a core. There's a story that needs to be told. And then I came on board as a producer. And then we started this journey to find a director. So I met with different directors. And when I met Yuval, that was when it kind of all just fell into place. I always knew the script needed work. Because I wanted to explore something less known and kind of change my character into something that it was, you know, originally she was not of Roma descent. So I kind of wanted to shine light on a problem and on a, on a situation that people knew less about. And when I met Yuval, you know, he had the same perspective. So we just clicked straight away. And I called the other producers and the financiers and everyone's like, we have our director. I was shooting Jack Ryan in New York. So I went to Yuval's house early mornings and late nights, and we were just sitting and working on the story together. So 
it was very much our collaboration and us kind of diving into this world and doing research and finding Maya story, my character's story, but also getting to learn the world back then and what was going on. And it was our goal to use real events or like kind of get inspired by things that really happened and kind of work that into our story. So it became really personal for me. And I am very proud of the film. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. Thank you. And you know what's funny, Jenny? Like, and now I can say, as a producer, I can say that I'm proud of the film because I find it really like problematic watching myself. I'm not a big fan of me. <laughs> but as a producer, it's like the whole film is my baby. So I love like Chris Messina's performance and Joel's performance and Amy's performance. So, you know, I can watch them over and over. So stepping into the producer chair, I can see the project with new eyes. I've always had this lured vision when I talk about my own films because it's like, oh yeah, my performance and me, me, me. And I find that a bit problematic. But now I'm like, yeah, no, I'm proud of the film from the producer's perspective. Is this your first time producing? No, it's not. But it's the first time I was so hands-on. And I was sitting with, you know, in weekends. And like when we were shooting, we shot in New Orleans. I was sitting like late nights with the other producer and Yuval and like working on the script and working on the production schedule and into small details. and. So I was very hands-on and it was incredible. Very hard, but very, very fun. So it's the first time I was that kind of involved, but I've been an executive producer before. Was it a struggle to kind of take off your producer hat and put on your actor hat or did they kind of blend together? You know, it's interesting that you ask because I've always been scared of like kind of going between the looking at a story and a character and being inside it. And I, I go really deep into my character. So I think I had this fear before that's like, oh yeah, I can't do both. And like, I've been asked to direct films and I was like, can't do that. You know, I need to like stay in it. I need to be on the inside. And funny enough, it was less hard than I thought because their responsibility as a producer is very different from when I'm an actress because I always need to find the truth, the character's own personal navigation system, like what is her perspective on things? Like, what is her backstory? Like, who is she? Like, what is she like? What's her fears? What is her dreams? Like, if I have filled up myself, my whole toolbox of the character's colors, basically, then I have it. It was kind of interesting to discover that I could just open that box. It was almost like a visual thing. It's like, I'm, I'm entering almost like Narnia, you know, when you walk into, like, you open the door and you step into this universe. And then I close the door to the producer. And then I remember one day when Yuval came to me and he was, like, asking something. And I was like, no, 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 I can't do that now. I need to stay on this side. Because then it became, like, split personality for a second. I was like, no, I can talk about that in the end of the day. It was very, very interesting. I felt so connected with Maya. So she kind of came to me quite natural, I would say. I saw an interview that you did a couple of years ago where you kind of said you take your characters home with you. And when you're playing them, they really affect your life. They do. Was it different on this one then because you were able to step out and be a producer or did Maya affect you in some ways? I think she affected me even more because <laughs> I was some days I was totally... I felt like I was drowning, you know, it was like I was pulled down in this emotional roller coaster and I was doing ice bath. Agnes, that you met here, my assistant, she was like filling up. She was like getting those big, big buckets and, and like big 10 kilos bags of ice and filled up my bathtub. And I was like in ice for three minutes, like cooling down my system. <laughs> 
and my nightmares, like I had a lot of nightmares that was very much Maya's universe and what happened to her when she was young and broken memories. And I totally felt that she took over. But what was interesting, I managed to be less emotional about it when I left set. Mm. She was there, but I could have basically put her to sleep. I was like, okay, you rest now. I need to step in and sort some stuff. (laughs) Have there been other roles that you couldn't do that so much? Oh, yeah. The normal me would be that the character is very much alive in me constantly. But, you know, I was doing research for a film once and I met this woman who had multiple personality disorder. And she said, there's many versions of me. They're always here. You know, I see all these figures and demons and creatures behind you when I'm talking to you, but I choose to ignore them. And then I will have a conversation with them when we're done, Numi. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And that's how it normally is for me. My character is always in me and I go home or normally I'm away somewhere, but I don't really socialize as much when I'm working. I go into my own universe and I, I kind of go to the gym in the end of the day and I go to bed. I don't do dinners. I try to stay in it, but it also depends on the character. Some characters kind of needs more and are more greedy (laughs) with my time and my heart. The girl with the dragon tattoo is maybe one of the most extreme ones, but it was such a long shoot. We did three films back to back and it was like six months of preparation. So it was, I think, a year and a half when she was living in me and she very much took over my soul and my body and my, you know, also I transformed my look became her I was blending in with her more and more and I remember some of my friends and my son said to me at some point he's like I don't know who you are you know I was like and I could feel like oh I'm on the edge now do I need to pull myself back it's been moments when I feel like I'm almost tipping over but I never did I always managed to find a balance where it's like okay I know where the edge is I know that I could maybe get lost but I also know how to bring myself back. And that's something that I'm constantly working on, pulling myself back into, here's the safe spot. It's almost like a safe word that brings me back to sanity. But sometimes maybe I think it's sanity. It's not, you know, some films, <laughs> I don't realize how crazy I was until I'm done. And then I was like, oh, I was quite far gone. So for the girl with the dragon tattoo, for Lisbeth, was it because of what the character demanded or was it really the length of having to work on three projects back to back? I would say it was combination maybe. And she was also very quite broken inside and very much a loner. So I didn't interact with people and I kind of felt like I went deeper and deeper into my own universe, you know, and the less contact you have with people, the less you share what's going on and the more you will start answering yourself. It's almost like you have conversations with yourself rather than involving others. When I did The Seven Sisters, What Happened to Monday, when I played seven total different characters, they took a grip on me and it was like they almost hijacked me. It felt like I was having a full-blown relationship with those seven sisters and I just couldn't interact with people outside of my own bubble Mm -hmm. I remember once when one of the sisters died we did a scene and I lost one of the sisters and I was talking to my real sister was in London we were talking at the end of the day and she was like is she dead did she die today and I just started crying I was like yeah she's gone and my sister who was home in my house she was like sharing the pain with me it was this strange So the only person I could really talk to was my real sister. And maybe because I was so much in the sisterhood and what is it to have sisters, you know, the hate, the love, 
the competitive side and then it's like still when it comes to someone from the outside attacking you and it's like I can fight with my sister I can hit my sister but you can't yeah <laughs> I'm gonna defend her I'm gonna die for her but I still want to kill her <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so it's been different on every journey sort of just to jump ahead to that because I really did want to ask you about it because that struck me I just watched what happened to Monday and the scene where you're literally mourning over her body and it is your body. Yeah. What is the process in playing against yourself? Because I know it's been done, like it's not uncommon for people to maybe play their own twin. Yeah. But playing septuplets, you were really your entire supporting <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was the one man, the seven woman show. You know, it was when the director, Tommy, called me. He wanted me to do a couple of films before that with him, but I couldn't because I was stuck in other projects and whatever. So we've been trying to find something. And then he called me and he was like, yo, Nooms, I have something. It's a crazy story. It's seven brothers, but I can only see you do this. So if you want to come on board, we will change it into seven sisters. So I was like, okay, send me the script. I read the script the same night and I called him next day and I was like, man, I mean, let's bring them to life. So, you know, when we were working on the script and changing it into from seven brothers to seven sisters... I kind of felt like I had to revisit myself in different chapters of my life. Like when I was 15, one of them is more like know me as a 15-year-old. One is know me as an 18-year-old. <laughs> one is know me at 24, you know. So it felt like they were all different versions of me. So when I lost, when one of them died, it was like I was saying goodbye to a certain chapter of myself and my life, mm -hmm. which became very personal in in a way that I couldn't predict before I was in the situation because it was so I was like playing my way through the scenes like some scenes took days to do because maybe I started on the floor dying and then you know in the end of the day I am crying my eyes out holding a standing girl a body and you know feeling that my heart breaks because I, I died and I lost my sister but it's also I lost myself but the way I could always use it, like siblings and twins even more are almost connected in a way that is so powerful. So, you know, Jenny, I felt like I didn't need anyone else and it scared me, mm -hmm. but not because I was enjoying the time on my own. It's like, oh, this is my show. You know, look at me. I don't really have that in me. I love acting because it's connection. I love to connect. You know, if this was not an interview about me, I would love to ask you questions and hear about you. And like, where did you grow up? Like, why are you sitting there and interviewing me? Like, where did your curiosity into people come from? You know, I love people yeah. and I love to connect. I'm so curious and I'm like obsessed with understanding stuff. So for me, like acting is all about connecting. Yeah. And then when I said yes to what happened to Monday, I was terrified that I wouldn't have any, the only way, my only method in acting is connection and truth and how can you connect with yourself if you're I'm just here there's no one else here so like you know having a green room with marks and tennis balls and crosses and everything is going to be happening in CGI it's like how am I even gonna function like where's the truth strangely enough they all just came to life it was almost like I did a recording in my head of the I played Saturday and then I switched to Friday and then I could almost see myself and hear myself. I mean, we did record my lines. I was listening to my own lines and answering myself. But it was like I could see my face and I could talk to myself. So it was like an inner cinema that was going on. Yeah. A full-on relationship drama going on in me. 
So they weren't always stand-ins then. Sometimes no, you sometimes, were just talking yeah. to nothing. We kind of used all different techniques. Wow. Talking about the connection that you just mentioned, I actually did an interview on somebody else's podcast yesterday, and he was talking to me about how actors are fearless. I like to consider myself a little bit of an actor. Yeah, definitely. But like, that's not how I feel because no. I think it's all about connection. And mm. to me, fearlessness is not part of the equation. I agree. But you know, it's funny. I'm so scared of things. I'm terrified, but I need to confront my fears and I need to step into those those rooms. Like if I feel like, oh, this is too scary. Like, I don't know. I can't. This paralyzes me. Then it almost becomes like this thing that I have to do. And I was like, why am I so scared? What is so, so dangerous? Like what's on the other side? And then it almost becomes this need to not be a slave under my own fear. So it's like, I have so much fear. I'm I can be maybe not shy, but like, I always felt like such an outsider when I grew up. And I always felt like, you know, I don't belong in this world. Like, I don't fit in. I'm a weirdo. (laughs) I'm not like the other (laughs) girls. Like, I'm not like the boys that I want to have with the boys, but I am a girl. And I was like, it's kind of stuck between. And I was like, where's this space for me? And then I started watching films when I was like 13, maybe. I lived on this remote farm. And films became my my oxygen my soul oxygen and I felt connected and then my fears and my loneliness and my pain and my all my personal struggles there was like a space for them I felt like I can fly I can be I live in those stories there there are stories being told there's actors out there directors bringing like characters to life that are like me (laughs) and then I didn't feel alone so that's the connection happened from my little room on this farm with people probably in, in, in LA or, or in New York or in London creating stuff and how that's changed me and made it possible for me to become a better version of myself. So when you were watching those films, did you know, I'm going to be an actor? That's what I'm going to be? Yeah. So I grew up in between Sweden and Iceland. And I remember I was in my first film, like, smallest part when I was seven and I was on set for three weeks but like you, if you really look you know if you <laughs> for a microscope you see like oh yeah that little girl <laughs> but for <laughs> me it was major you know it changed my life so I was on set for three weeks and the director was a crazy Icelandic very loud man you know and people were a bit scared of him but I remember just feeling very included and I remember one day we've been working 14 hours or 15 hours without breaks and everyone was tired like people like oh we need a break or I think they wanted to wrap up the day and he just lost it and he was like what is wrong with you you're not real artists and I was sitting next to him you know just like quiet and like didn't dare to look at him and he was like how old are you I was like seven (laughs) he was like look She's a real actress. She doesn't complain. You know, look at her. And I was like, okay, (laughs) this is what I am. And I think (laughs) like from that moment, like he planted a seed in me and I was like, this is where I want to be. And then we moved back to Sweden and I was like, you know, 11, 12, 13. And I had like chaos in me. And that dream was very far away. But then when I was 15, I just brought myself together and I was like forced myself to make a decision. So I left my family. And I moved to Stockholm, which was eight hours away. It's a long drive. And I went to like a drama high school, drama college. So that's when I reconnected with the dream that started when I was seven. 
Now, leaving home that young, was it like I'm leaving you to go to school and I'm going to go to this high school or college? Or were you leaving home and then you found your way to school? No, I knew where I was going. I've always had this very strong, I'm very stubborn. (laughs) And I told my (laughs) family, it's like, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to this school. It was like I had to audition to the school. Like It was like three really hard auditions and I was like managed to get in. And I just said to them, I'm moving and I'm leaving. And they didn't stop me and they, you know, let me go, which, I mean, my son is 17 now and I would never let him go. I can't (laughs) understand how you can let your 15-year-old daughter move. But I was very determined and very, I kind of knew that I had to do it. I felt like things were not good and I wouldn't have turned into a human that I wanted to be if I would have stayed, you know. So it was necessary. And I became sober. I left, you know, and I came to this new city. I've never been in a big city. I was like a farm girl, you know. I was a good drinker and I know how to build things and I could ride horses. You know, I was good with everything that was creating and building and painting and, you know, farm work. That was my skill. But like, I've never been in an escalator when I was like 50. (laughs) I could hardly write and read because I went to this alternative school. So I came like this, I don't know if you ever saw this film with um, Jodie Foster called Nell. I did a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I felt like Nell. I came to the big city and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like this wild kid that doesn't know how to behave. So I was basically quiet for a couple of years just studying human behavior. It's like, this is how the sophisticated, you know, people with knowledge, that's how they move in the world. I was studying how people did things. Which is part of being an actor is studying other humans. So when you were at school, were you studying a specific technique or anything? Or how did they train you? I would say that it was a cocktail of different things. And then the last year, I started working when I was 16. I got a part in a TV show. So I started filming when I was 16 and I did 12 episodes of the biggest show in Sweden back then. It was Oh, wow. Really bad, but everyone saw it. (laughs) And I was like, I remember I saw one episode and I was like, oh my days, this is so bad. I can't be this. (laughs) I was like 16. I was like, this, no, no, no. And then I started doing theater. So I started working. I was just working, working, working. And I think I created my own method. And it always brought me back to truth. Mm -hmm. So what I tried to do, I'm obsessed with, real stories and I was actually talking to David Ayer you know who directed me and Bright mm. we were like texting the other night and we're talking about art and for me art is freedom and arts and films is universe of total freedom because there's no right and wrong there's no good and bad you have you can be anything and everything and the only thing you need to know is honesty somehow and that I that I can do, <laughs> you know, and it's not about looking a certain way. It's not about vanity. It's not about being cute. It's not about being smart. You know, it's about knowing, you know, and, and having a navigation in yourself. It's like, OK, this is where it's truthful. This is where the character is in line with everything, you know, and it's not about putting on a show for me. It's not about faking stuff. It's about feeling it and living it from the inside and like relating to it rather than like putting on things. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, 
And today, I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your voice. Trust me, every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my but dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the one The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcocom slash a moment of your time. So with Bright... Your character was scary. She yeah. was great. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> I think they should have put you in way more of the film. I wanted all of your story. Oh, thank you. I loved her. She was such a amazing villain with a broken heart. You know, she was bleeding inside and all that blood turned black. And she was like, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> that kind of metaphor, is that how you connect to your characters? You kind of see visually like... This is the description and that's how I'm getting in. That's my pathway into this character. You know, it's different every time, I would say. When I did The Drop with Tom Hardy, I went to Queens and Brooklyn and I went to rescue dog centers and I was just there like cleaning dog shit (laughs) and like just listening to how the people around me were talking. And I was like, slowly she came to me. I didn't because there was nothing to study. There was not really research to do. I spoke to Dennis Lehane, who created her and who was the writer, who's incredible, who I adore. And I spoke to the director and slowly she came to me, but I didn't feel like I needed to go out and catch her. I was like, I'm going to trust the process. I knew what she came from. I decided what kind of upbringing she had and like her dad and what happened to her. And, and then, you know, I knew that she'd been in a bad relationship with Matthias Schoenart's character. And like when I kind of filled myself with all her, almost like a photo album of her past, her movements and the way she dressed. And she was wearing this really sticky, sweet perfume that no me, that me, I hated, but it just made so much sense. So it kind of felt like I just like slided into becoming her. And then she knew more about her than I did. There was a scene that was not in script that I was like begging the director to shoot. I was like, we need to have this moment where we see her alone with her ex-boyfriend to understand the relationship they have before they go off to the bar where Tom Hardy works. We need to see how he controls her and how she is trapped in this dysfunctional but still a love relationship. And it was like, that would be the last puzzle piece we need to understand fully who she is. Because she will never tell anyone, but we will see how her body just like reacts to him being in the room. So I always had this like strong sense of like, same when I did Prometheus, I read the script and straight away fell in love with Elizabeth Shaw and I had like several conversations with Ridley. And then I was like, you know, I think there's two missing beats, small little glue scenes that I feel like we need to just tell the story about her a little bit more just to make her human and to show a bit of her vulnerability and her fears because she has a strong mind, but her body is breaking. So the conflict between mind and body. So I've always had the sense, and I guess that is almost the producer hat again, yeah. you know, and I see the arc of the characters, not just from the character's perspectives, like in the storyline, in the, in the curve, in the wave of the story, what does the audience need to see to be able to relate to her? 
Well, and it's also like on a set, everybody's doing their job and they're doing the best they can, but it's sort of the actor's job to go to bat for their character because sometimes it's not someone else's focus. Mm -hmm. Can we hear more about times you've gone to bat for your characters? Oh my God. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And it's always like, I don't want to be pretty. I want to be real. (laughs) I think it was Joel Kinnaman who said to me at one point, he was like, I guess it's not a Nomi character if you don't look like shit in the end. <laughs> I was like, mm. one day, Jenny, I'm going to look flawless and be beautiful. <laughs> Me and Clueless or something. <laughs> no, but like since day one, I did theater for 10 years. That was my school. And I always felt like, why do we women and girls need to be pretty and likable and sweet and adorable and approachable? Why can't we just be fully humans with all our flaws and all our brokenness and anger and aggression and whatever it is, all the colors needs to be allowed to come out. That's something I've been defending and arguing in a lot of rooms. <laughs> Since I was like 19, if you were like, who is she? What is she doing in here? And I was like sitting like knocking on the door to the producers and, and the director's like, I have an idea. And I was like, uh, wait, what? We didn't invite you. I was like, no, but it's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> is it true you refused to go on magazine covers as Lizbeth because she yeah, wouldn't have done yeah. that? I said no to so many things. I was like, because I kind of um, stepped into Lizbeth's shoes and I was like, she would never do this. And I remember that I got awarded as the sexiest woman da, 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 in some, you know, for Q, GQ magazine. I don't remember what it was. And they wanted me to come and take the award. And I was like, no, I can't. She would be very upset. She wouldn't do that. This is against everything she believed in. She didn't want to be labeled. She didn't want to be judged that someone would like look at her as a a sexual creature that would be put into a box. You know, we rate you highly as a sexual creature. She would be like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I can't do it. That my loyalty to her was stronger than everything else. And then I remember they wanted me to do, obviously the production wanted me to do a lot of press and do covers. And I was like, you can't do it. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> and there was like one magazine that I wanted to do. And it was like a men's magazine that only did men on the cover. And I was like, yeah, but I can <laughs> sit in a suit. You know, I could just like, you know, be me in a suit. And they're like, no, we don't want you. <laughs> and now, funny enough, that magazine just reached out to my team recently. I was like, we want her on the cover. And I was like, Okay, can I be a man on the cover? <laughs> what did they say? Did they say yes? They said yes, no. Yeah. I mean, I think I will do it for when I'm promoting a film that, where it makes sense. Yeah. So going back to the secrets we keep, because uh, you brought up how Joel Kinnaman and you were looking for a project together. Yes. So he was in it from the start. Yes. How did you find Chris Messina? How did he come on board? Oh, Chris, I went to the premiere of Sharp Objects in L.A., I was invited by someone. I don't remember. Someone that was working on the show. I'm a big fan of Amy Adams. I was like really looking forward to to see her bring this character to life. And then I discovered Chris. And I was like, who is this man? He's amazing. And he is so full of life. And he has this desperation and strength and vulnerability at the same time. And I was like, wow. And it's really hard to play those cop roles. And I remember that he brought that character to life in the most beautiful way. And then I had him in mind, you know, I was like, I want to find something to do with him. So when Yuval started the casting process and he was on one of the lists, I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> he's amazing. And then we were like, he was shooting some crazy project up in Canada. 
And then uh, we were FaceTiming me and I was basically sitting like this, you know. <laughs> and I was like looking at Chris, like <laughs> slightly obsessed with him. And I felt like he was like, oh, she's a bit too much. <laughs> and then me and Yuval came off the call. And I was like, he's amazing. It feels like I'm married to him. I could feel the connection, even though he's in Canada. I'm sitting in New York from day one. And I loved every moment with him, every second. And same with Amy. She is so amazing. She's such an incredible actress and a director. So when she came on board and we were discussing the scenes and she was moving so easily between, I mean, she's not a producer on the film, but she was a producer. Like she, she embraces the story. She was talking about like, oh yeah, if I say this in this scene, you know, that will help you guys later on. And I was like, I was just sitting like in awe and like admiring her. I was like, I'm going to be like you. <laughs> so it was truly, um, I feel like everyone involved really went into it with great passion. It was very much a collaborative process. And obviously that is Yuval's way. He's Israeli, so very straight to the point. He never sugarcoats anything. Like, <laughs> you know what he feels and things. <laughs> Sometimes it's like we were clashing like this and I was like, no. He was like, yes. And I was like, oh. And it's like, who is the strongest? And I was like, I'm half Spanish. I will never surrender. And then it's like, you know, in the end of it, I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was a hard shoot. It was really hard. But he had so much fun at the same time. What were some of the challenges you had on set? We had a six-week shoot, and it was a period drama, so it was quite long days. I think it was in every day, you know, and it was like really long. Emotionally, every day felt like a week. And then just finding the balance, you know, and carrying it all in our bodies. Basically, the story is that I'm a housewife in the 50s in a sleepy, beautiful small town in Louisiana. And I'm married to a doctor. I'm working with him at the office, at the doctor's office. We have this beautiful son. My life is pretty good, even though I've shut down things in myself. So I have undealt inner scars that are there, but I'm repressing them and dealing with them as much as I can. And then one day I see this man and I'm convinced that he is someone that did horrible things to me and to my sister 15 years ago. And she gets obsessed with him basically. And then, you know, she starts following him and she follows him home to his house and she realizes that he has a family and kids. And, and she gets like drawn into his world and she can't let it go. And things are starting to flush up in her and like almost like pieces that she can't really put together so she doesn't understand what's happening first and then she gets more and more convinced that she needs him to help her understand what happened and he is the voice he's the answer to what happened you know and then she kidnaps him and puts him in the basement and forces her husband to come in on it and she has her son upstairs so she starts living this double life and what I find so intriguing and fascinating with this whole story is that it really deals with the biggest issues and the biggest questions in life, you know, forgiveness, um, um, revenge, avenging. If you strike back on someone who did something wrong to you and if you break that person equally, would you heal yourself? Can you come out on the other side? And then she thinks she's in control. She thinks that she just needs those answers and she thinks that she wants to hurt him and then she realizes that she just needs to know what happened and she just wants him to admit that he did it and he just keeps denying you know and he keeps saying it's not me you've mistaken me for somebody else and my husband doubts me and everyone doubts me and I've you know and I felt as a that I'm going insane I'm losing myself 
you know, slowly it felt like I was in the swamp outside of New Orleans and like, you know, just slowly losing oxygen. It felt like I was, I was like breathing through a straw. Mm. Some days I was just holding Yuval, it's like, okay. And he was like, go in, like one more take. And I was like, okay. And like Agnes, who's my rock, you know, who's with me on set, my beautiful assistant, some days I was just like, I don't know if I can do it. She's like, you can do it. I allowed myself to go to a place where I didn't really feel safe. I felt so safe with my director and my co-stars. So I could allow myself to take the risk in me to set myself free and to really touch the edge. Yeah. To throw myself into her trauma. And I felt like she was like a shattered mirror. And then she was like, almost like, do you remember that film Memento with Guy Pierce that I love? I kind of felt like I was living in memento, you know, because I had all these reflections of my past and of myself. And I was running, but then I was also sitting right there. But then I was lying down. I couldn't put the pieces together. And that kind of happened in in me and in my dreams. Mm -hmm. So that made the shoot very intense and very hard. But also I knew from the get-go that that was the place I had to go to. So besides ice baths, how do you take care of yourself in that kind of situation? Well, I work out once or twice a day. I'm very strict with my diet when I'm working. So I don't want to go on a sugar rush roller coaster because it just messes up my whole system. I'm very disciplined. I don't drink alcohol. I don't go out. I can't really put myself in situations where I, where I feel like I add adrenaline to myself. It's strange. My own discipline And my own mind is probably my strongest tool. So I always stick to, I I almost build up like walls that I could bounce back on, you know. So in the end of the day, I go to the gym no matter what. And I will sweat out the character. I will take a bath, Epsom salt and ice bath. I go between them. (laughs) And then I go to bed and I listen to music before, after, in the mornings and in the evenings. And I try to not interact in too many other things. I can't watch movies. I can't talk to people, really. I try to just stay as protected as possible from the outside world. So I have time to heal and to process and reset my mind and my body for the next day. But I also feel like for every day, it's like, and it's almost like, um, in the end, I'm always rolling. (laughs) You do your own stunts as well, don't you? Yeah, most of them, as much as they allow me to do. Yeah. In what happened to Monday, I did most of them, but like, I mean, obviously it's things when I'm fighting myself. So we had an amazing stunt double that played me fighting me. So I was fighting her. We were switching characters, but there was one day when I was when Wednesday jumps from a window down in a dumpster. That's like four stores up or something and they were like there's no way you can do that and my stunt double did an amazing job that day but she also was so bruised it doesn't matter how good you are you always get a bit bruised up oh yeah my nose broke on a job my toe broke I broke a rib pulled muscles my body is basically a map of scars and all the injuries <laughs> you know you can see here and then it's a bit wide over here <laughs> it's my broken nose <laughs> So then in that case, like when you're taking care of yourself and going to the gym, are you doing a full day of stunts sometimes and then going and working out? Or can you take a break after that? I would adjust my workout then and maybe do more of a stretching Pilates program. I try to be kind to myself nowadays. I was harder on myself when I was younger. But also it comes down to the people you have around you. I have an amazing team around me. 
that truly helps me heal and stay on the right side of sanity and sanity. <laughs> and then sometimes I can't talk, like it just becomes overwhelming and then they will stir me a little bit into the right direction it's like okay yeah here's your food here's your coffee <laughs> sit down I'm gonna tell everyone that you need a moment you know and then I was like okay <laughs> oh man I know we're running out of time I have so much I want to talk to you about oh I love talking to you you're you know I, I was talking to my friend you know Barry Keon is amazing actor I'm so bad with pronouncing his last name he's Irish um, he was in A Killing of a Sacred Deer. Did you see that one? Yeah. One of my favorite films. He's an amazing actor. You would totally recognize his face. Anyways, we were talking before we started this interview. I was like, oh, interviews can be really hard because sometimes the questions are like not so fun. And then I was like, I'm going to see how this one goes. And now I'm really happy. I'm going to report back to him and say, she's amazing. That means so much to me. Because you really want to go into the questions, which I appreciate and prefer. My final question that I've fallen in love with wrapping up all my interviews this way is, what does it mean to you to have a life in storytelling? Wow, everything. We live in a world now that is so mad and so crazy. And most days it gives me heartache because <laughs> I look around and I'm like, how can we still be dealing with those issues? How is it even possible? How come we haven't gotten further? And then I'm like, okay, but I have this power. I have a superpower because I can decide what movies I bring to life. I can decide what I want to send out there. I will put my mark on history by my choices and I can be a part of a narrative that is not from a place of hate and ignorance and stupidity. And that for me, being a storyteller and being blessed enough to be in my position to get to work with people that are incredible, brave people, people that want to tell stories that are maybe not always comfortable or that are needed and necessary. That for me is the greatest gift. Numi Rapaz, thank you so much, you. so much for joining me today. This has been just an unbelievable conversation and I was so looking forward to talking to you because you're oh, so cool. Oh, thank you. You're amazing. Thank you for this. It was truly actually fun talking to you. Oh, wow. Well, you're welcome to come back anytime. Amazing. <laughs> Maybe I'll interview you next time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Numi. Hollywood Unscripted is created by Kurt Co Media. This special episode of the Stuck at Home series was hosted and produced by me, Jenny Curtis, with guest Numi Rapace, co-produced and edited by Jay Whiting. The executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Derek Dick. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any special episodes of Hollywood Unscripted Stuck at Home. And we want to hear from you. Leave us a rating and a review. Tell us what you like, even what you don't like. Maybe we can be better. Thanks for listening, stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind. <laughs> <laughs>